We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, Ryan Brown of the next round joins from Birmingham. We're going to talk about what may be a big story, what might be a no story. I don't know. We'll talk about it with him. Uh, we'll also kind of do start previewing SEC Media Days a little bit, look at some of the storylines that might or might not come up during SEC Media Days in Atlanta, which should be in Birmingham. The more that we do this, the more I say it should be in Birmingham, not Atlanta, but I know the league wants to move it around, so we'll accommodate the league, I suppose. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. First, I want to tell you that we're brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford, you know the spiel by now. It's a great place to fill up your vehicle, great place to fill up yourself. You can go in. It's always clean, uh, always always nice, great service. You're going to go in, plate lunches. They've got uh, great beer selection, daiquiris, snacks, the whole deal there. And then also, obviously, the uh, touchless fill-up out at the pumps. Always, if you're coming into Oxford or you're on your way out of Oxford, stop Highway 6 West in Oxford at the Oxford Exxon and uh, make sure that you tell those guys that you appreciate them sponsoring this show for the past 10-plus years. We're brought to you uh, every day in the Clark Ford studio because Clark Ford, 662-257-1900 that number. Call our friend Corey Clark. Tell him what Ford product you're looking for. Uh, he'll, he'll give you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle. He'll get your quote. The rest is up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done multiple times now, and that's hop into a Clark Ford. You'll love the product. You'll love the service. 662-257-1900. Ryan Brown and all other guests join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to get out of the heat. Grab a burger, a po' boy, appetizers, a cold beer, full bar, and more there at Rafters on the Square. Also Rafters in New Albany, and then Rafters at Sardis. Uh, rafters on the water there at Sardis. Great place to grab a frozen margarita, a cold beer, as you enjoy a day on the lake. Ryan, how are you? I am awesome, Neil. Can I start with a, uh, a shout-out? <clears throat> Excuse me, a shout-out to one of your uh, Oxford Exxon consumers? Absolutely. Uh, it is Stephen Wyatt, who is an Ole Miss student, who um, really likes your podcast and found our show through your podcast, which I appreciate and um, sent us some uh, some video. So just a real quick backstory. As you know, we do a bracket punishment every year. And Lance, uh, one of my co-hosts, Lance Taylor, lost it. And Dunaway and I, my other co-host, we got to uh, send Lance to a location of our choosing. We could fly him there with one connector. And the, the deal was he had to get back using bus, train, and car. We flew him to Salina, Kansas, which is the middle of nowhere. And it was a disaster for him trying to get back. But he thought for certain we had done a story on the show about a sports bar in Portland named the Sports Bra. <laughs> and, all, and all they show is women's sports. They don't show men's sports. The sports bra, which I think is a terrible business plan, but a, phenomenal, but a phenomenal name. I'll give them credit. For what sure. a great name, the Sports Bra. So Stephen 
and his buddies are doing a trip out west, and they detour just to go to the sports bra to see what it's like. <laughs> and sent us a video from there. And uh, he called into the show the next day and said uh, on the show that he discovered our show. Uh, and all he said was, I discovered Ryan through the Oxford Exxon with Neil, which made it sound like you and I you were know, running a, you know, the Oxford uh, Exxon. Which a convenience not. store. No, uh, right, exactly. So hello to Stephen Wyatt. And I appreciate your listeners bleeding over to us. And hopefully uh, our listeners will do the same. As Houston Nutt would say, it's just people helping people. That's all it is. Heppin. Heppin. Noel, Neil. Um. How did that? So I was following Lance's excursion. How did first of all? How did you settle on Salina, Kansas? What What was the motivation behind you and Jim um, picking that one? We were We were in a uh, We were in a staff meeting without Lance. We do a Monday staff meeting after our show. We were in a staff meeting without Lance, and we literally just uh, on the big screen in our meeting room uh, pulled up Google Maps and just started looking for like random out of the way places. The The key was we only got one connector. Which you've lived in Birmingham, you know that means you know the basically your connector is going to be Chicago, um, Atlanta, sometimes Houston, Dallas. I mean those That's are your it. choices yeah. basically. So um, we started looking and we we're like, you know, middle America, middle of nowhere, it's going to be tough to get back home. And there's Kansas, and then we start Salina, and then we look. Salina's got an airport. They got two flights: one to Chicago and one to Denver. We're like, okay, if it's an airport with like two flights, this is a middle of nowhere town. And sure enough, it was. I mean, it was just, it was a cluster for him to get back. He he lands in Chicago and he gets delayed. He's there yep. that first night. There's actually a tornado in Chicago, but he goes to Wrigley and it looks like he and his daughter had a great time in Chicago. And he's thinking, yeah. this is cake. But I think his his luggage went to Salina. That's right. And so they, they had, had to had go. buy clothes, yeah. And then yeah. I saw him, the funniest thing was... <laughs> um Lance appreciates a good spirit and uh yep. and and he was interviewing people on the train yep. and and after a while they shut they shut him down on his interviews and I yeah, couldn't understand yeah. why. Yeah, an Amtrak official came up to him and told him I guess they assumed he was a member of the media which calling us media is a loose description but <laughs> uh, he he uh an Amtrak official came up to him and told him that uh without prior approval by Amtrak, he cannot be doing any video interviews with their passengers. Even though, I mean, everyone consented. It's not as if, you know, we were just saying, hey, I'm just interviewing my buddy. I mean, he was telling people, you know, what we do, and everybody consented. But you know, everybody's got rules these days, Neil, so we, we, we do our best to follow them. So speaking of media outlets, uh, Swim Swam Sports yesterday came out with uh, with a report that the SEC, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I mean, in today's media, who knows what's media and what's not. Um, about is it like Clemson, Florida State, Virginia, and Miami, I think, in negotiations with the SEC. I'll just say that I don't think that's accurate. No. At all, I don't think the SEC is in quote negotiations with anyone. But Ryan, and I'm curious to get your thoughts because you're there in Birmingham, where the corporate office is, and all that. And I know that you know a lot of people around the league, as I do. I do sense just from gauging people and talking to people and just communicating with people. I do sense that while maybe nothing is imminent, things are happening. That the, the USC UCLA thing absolutely did get those wheels moving again ucla and usc joining the big 10 and I, I i don't feel like i don't feel like the league as we see it today in july of of 2022 is going to look like what the league is going to look like in say july of 2024 yeah i think you know you're probably playing a game of semantics here is the conference actively negotiating probably not but how do you define actively negotiating i mean are you know did, did they know if tomorrow they asked Clemson to be part of the conference, Clemson would say yes? Probably. Or sure. Florida State or NC State or whoever you want to say. I, I, the way I would describe, from what I know, of uh, the SEC is that they understand the game. I mean, Greg Sankey didn't get where he is by not understanding how the game's played. And they and the Big Ten, to their credit, have been forward thinkers. And that's why these are the two dominant conferences right now, because they have thought in the future rather than thinking in the present. And I don't think anybody in college athletics thinks in the future and doesn't think that these conferences are only going to grow and that the college football playoff is going to expand 
And in my opinion, you're going to have a split. And I've felt this for a long time, Neil, and we're closer now than we've ever been. Yeah. You're going to have a split of your power schools, for lack of a better term, what you would consider the power five now. I think they're going to split away and do their own thing. And I think you're going to have the group of five teams kind of behind and having their own playoff. And I don't think anybody anybody that's paying attention doesn't think those are the paths we're headed towards. So your conferences are naturally going to grow. So 10 years ago, Ryan, when this came up, I don't think it's a secret anymore. The, the SEC looked at going to 16, and they mm-hmm. they talked about Texas and Oklahoma, and they talked about Virginia and North Carolina. That was my understanding. That was the, yeah. At that point, everything was about expanding your footprint, making it bigger. I don't know that that's the emphasis anymore. Um, I don't. I don't know that it's even on TV markets anymore because the SEC's deal is so ESPN's deal is so much about streaming and about eyeballs, no matter where those eyeballs are or how concentrated those eyeballs are. Yet I still continue to hear and tell me I'm wrong if you'd like, because you would know probably better than me being there in Birmingham. I still hear that the SEC is infatuated with North Carolina to the point that. If there was a way to get that done, they would do it. And I think North Carolina is pretty interested in the SEC as well. There's just a split in Chapel Hill about whether it's, hey, we, we, we can't give up our position of power as kind of the Alabama of the ACC, if you will. Um, or maybe we would be a better cultural fit in the Big Ten because of the academic reputations of some of those institutions. Yet those fans, and those are the people that you're trying to get to cram into the stadium and spend their money and contribute to NIL funds and all of those things, I think that fan base as a whole is far more interested in, hey, let's play Alabama and Florida and Georgia and Ole Miss and Tennessee and those kind of teams. That, that would be a lot sexier than what we're doing playing Wake and, and, and Boston College or even potentially Wisconsin and Michigan. You know the interesting thing about what you said about North Carolina, and I and I, I, I do think the SEC. I think they would look at North Carolina and say national brand. The Jordan brand is huge. You know they bring you a ton in basketball, obviously, and they're good enough in football. I mean, are they a national power? No, but they're not Vandy. They're not Duke. I mean, you know they're a team that can be in the top twenty-five for you, and they've sure. got a you know a good alumni base and things like that. But the funny part about what you said about North Carolina is like, so you want to be the power in the ACC. Well, what good is that going to do you in five years or 10 years, right? It's not. I mean, I mean yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're the president of a nation that gets overthrown, guess what? You're, you're not really president anymore. <laughs> yeah, you were. But another country came in and invaded you and they took all your power. You could still be president, but you got no power. So, you know, I think at some point you picked the wrong conference to be the power in, right? I mean, the ACC, it seemed like a good choice and it's been a long-term choice for them, but the ACC is a weekend product now and the SEC will devour it or the Big Ten will devour it. Um, I do think, if not North Carolina, North Carolina State, I think you're right and that the SEC is not going to focus as much on media markets anymore. You know, you've got Atlanta with Georgia, you've got Nashville with Vandy, You've got those Texas markets with Texas, Texas A&M and Oklahoma, which gives you a good foothold in Dallas, Austin, a little bit of Houston, obvious, or a good bit of Houston. Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, City is now, now a number 20 yep. market. Yeah. Yep. Memphis is a good-sized TV market, and there's a ton. I mean, you know Memphis, Neil. It's, it's, Ole, it's Ole Miss, Alabama fans, you know, it's, Arkansas fans everywhere. It's a lot like Nashville. It's a, it's a real hodgepodge yeah. of SEC alumni bases. Yeah. So if you were to add, you know, that Raleigh Charlotte TV market, that's a nice ad. You're not going to get the big markets like the Big Ten is getting. I mean, they're getting, you know, the L.A.'s of the world. That's the number two TV market. But you don't need this anymore because the SEC's got this massive deal. And outside of adding New York City, what are you going to do to your media deal? And by the way, if you add New York City, they don't care about college sports. I mean, that's right. to me the mistake the Big Ten made. You went and added Rutgers and weakened your conference just to get New York City who doesn't care about Rutgers. So, you know, I'll credit them for getting UCLA and USC. They moved the needle a little bit in L.A., and that's the number two media market in the country. The SEC can't do that anymore. I think we're out of those markets now, so you may as well go find good cultural fits. That might bring you a few more TV eyeballs, but primarily they're going to be a cultural fit. So here's the you mentioned cultural fit, and when I think cultural fit, and I don't pretend to watch a lot of ACC football because it's boring, frankly, um, 
Now, I watch a lot of Big Ten football, and everybody tells me that's boring, but for some reason I'm infatuated with Big Ten football, and I don't understand it. I do, I, 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 but I watch a lot of it. Um, but if you ask me to pick the schools in the ACC that are cultural fits with the SEC, I'd pick NC State before I picked North Carolina. I'd picked Virginia yeah. Tech before I picked Virginia. I'm, I'm torn on Clemson. I, there's a part of me that thinks Clemson's just the, the soup of the month. Um, I have no strong. I, I look at Florida State, and I've been to. I've covered games there before. It's fine, whatever. I don't know that Florida State adds much to the product. I'm not convinced about Miami. They, they. I don't. I wonder if the league really wants another school in a metropolitan area that you can't put people in the seats. You know, the league likes. The league likes for SEC games to look like SEC games, to sound like SEC games, to feel like SEC games. You know, when you're whether you're in Vaught Hemingway or Jordan Hare or Bryant Denny or or Neyland or Pick Your State, Tiger Stadium, whatever, those games feel like SEC games. Uh, you know, game at Scott Field. I mean, you hear the cowbells and you know, hey, that's SEC, that's Mississippi State. They're playing somebody. Um, I don't know that Miami offers that. And in years past, Miami has certainly not offered that. So I kind of wonder if maybe we're all missing the boat on where this is going. Because if it is about cultural fits, there are some other schools in the ACC that make more sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally disagree. I totally agree with you because you feel like Duke, Virginia, North Carolina feel a little more Big Ten. You know, they feel a little more Big Ten. And you're right, the Virginia Tech world where it's kind of a smaller college town. I've never been to Blacksburg, but I envision it a lot like Oxford or, you know, Auburn, these smaller college towns that don't have a massive metropolitan area. They're not like a suburb of a massive metropolitan area. You drive a little bit to get there. And when you get there, that town's all about that college. All right? about it. And they pack that stadium. Yeah. Those are the, that, I'm with you. That's the cultural fit of the Southeastern Conference. And you do get that with an NC State and a Virginia Tech. More. And you get the Washington, D.C. market. And you actually yeah. get the people in Washington, D.C. who care about college football because they watch Virginia Tech. I mean, that's a pretty passionate fan base. They, they love mm-hmm. it. I mean, frankly, if you're talking about passionate fan bases, West Virginia makes sense. I mean, they love it. I mean, they're a terrible fit in the Big 12, and I think they'd be yeah. a bad fit in the SEC too. But if you're just dead set on expanding, and that's my next question, how dead set on expanding do you think the SEC is? Well, I mean, I, I think I think they just know it's a necessity moving forward. I think they know that this is where this is going. I, you know, the interesting thing is you've got this media rights deal, and, and obviously it's all with ESPN, so at any point you could potentially tear it up and start over, I guess, if both sides wanted to. But if I start adding other mouths to feed, I'm just siphoning, you know, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Right now Ole Miss is getting the same amount of money Alabama's getting. And that's going to be less money if I've got to divide it more ways and there's nothing else coming in. Now, again, Greg Sankey doesn't get where he gets without being a smart forward thinker. So I have not seen the TV contract that the SEC has with ESPN. But I've got to think, Neil, that in terms of expansion, there's got to be some sort of carve out in there. Where you kind of revisit this thing, right? Well, that's and, been the rumor, right? Is that hey, ESPN gets right of refusal, and if they don't refuse, they just make an equal another piece of pie that's like the pie that Alabama and Ole Miss get in that contract. Right. Because you and I are smart enough to know ESPN was heavily involved in o- in Oklahoma and Texas. Oh yeah, and, and the For Big sure. Twelve certainly thinks that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Big Twelve believes it just like you and I do. So. You know, you're you're not going to do this without being in concert with ESPN. So if ESPN's, you know, the the emperor giving the thumbs up, thumbs down, right? If he's communist, thumbs up, thumbs down. That was the character, right? Communist that did thumbs up, thumbs down. Pop culture is not anyway. my thing, but I, I, okay. I'll take your word for uh, it. Gladiator. Have you never watched Gladiator? That's good. For isn't, that, isn't that terrible? I, there are so many movies oh, that I've not watched where it's like, oh, hey, you, everyone tells me you you ha- you must surrender your man card, and I just. I just never get around to it. It's not that I have a, yeah. anything against it. I just don't. Well, that's a good flick, man. You ought to watch Gladiator. Um, but it, yeah, but I mean, if just hey, I just watched them. Hustle on Netflix. It was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. I haven't seen that. What is that? It's uh, it's Adam Sandler, believe it or not, and I guess Queen Latifah. 
in a, a very NBA themed um, movie on Netflix, and I was very skeptical and loved it. Now I'm an NBA guy, and I I, I love the NBA, and there were so many NBA ca- uh, cameos from Dr. J yeah. to Trey Young to, um. I mean, the list goes on. Anthony Edwards was a kind of a star in it, and he was fantastic. I mean, what a charismatic guy he was. But anyway, the movie was was great. I I expected to hate it and not finish it, and instead, I mean, I really enjoyed it. So I haven't okay. watched Gladiator, but I've watched Hustle, so there you go. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Sorry. If, if he has, yeah, it's cool. It's all right. So if ESPN is the one giving the thumbs up, thumbs down, you got to think the SEC responds with, okay, well, if you want us to add this team, you know what that's going to require, right? Yeah. And 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 I think where the where the SEC's got a nice advantage here is ESPN. This is not just the SEC and the Big Ten trying to keep up with one another. This is ESPN and Fox trying to keep up with one another. The bigger the Big Ten gets, the more of a foothold Fox gets in college football. And the bigger foothold they get in college football, the more of, of a threat it is to ESPN who has controlled college football by and large. So I think that's what the SEC has going for them is that ESPN now views this as a battle between them and Fox. So to, to your point, like if, if you want to add NC state and Virginia tech, say, you know, at some point you got to go to ESPN and say, okay, you know, you know what that means is last year I was cutting our guys a hundred million dollar check. They're going to want that $100 million check, so we're going to need $200 million more million to add these two teams. Well, and that's where it's interesting ESPN's role because ESPN has a deal with the ACC right now that yep. they control that league financially in, in many ways. And you wonder, does ESPN go to the ACC at some point soon and say, I know it doesn't work exactly like this, but hey, look, some of you guys just aren't carrying the water and some of you are and those of you that are we need you to move over to this more productive league and you're going to make more money and you other guys we'll do a separate deal with you and maybe what's left of the big 12 or whatever we'll take care of you but you you, you can't you, you you can't hang on the coattails of North Carolina or Virginia Tech any longer. I, I, and it kind of feels like that's what's happening, yet that's the kind of stuff that nobody can talk about because obviously there's some collusion there. But let's be real. The people at, at ESPN, like you said, are looking at what's going on with Fox. And that's been the big hang-up on this playoff anyway is the two networks. And they're going to want to move the their – most precious ACC commodities, I would think, to a better platform. But, I mean, but that is exactly what Fox just did. I mean, Fox just, in concert with the Big Ten, if you think the Big Ten added U, U, USC and UCLA without first going to Fox and saying, okay, what would this do to our media deal? You're crazy. There was, a leak, crazy. There, there was a leak on this in April that, that Fox was yeah. the one that went to the Big Ten and said, hey, yeah. you probably should expand, and here's where you should go first. That's right. So they've got to deal with the Pac-12. So Fox went to one of their conferences and siphoned off teams to strengthen their bigger conference. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what ESPN is going to have to do, Neil. And it feels dirty. And it seems like dirty pool. But it is that deal that ESPN has with those ACC schools that everyone is saying is going to make it so difficult for an ACC school to get out of their conference and move to the sec or the big 10 it's that grant of rights deal well that deals with espn so what better way to fix it than go to an espn controlled conference right so i mean let's just let's use common sense here if the thing that is stopping me from going to the sec is the fact that i have handed over my media rights for 13 more years to espn or to the acc who then has handed them to espn but I want to go to the SEC, who is wholly owned by ESPN. Seems like there's a common denominator here, right? It's ESPN. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the way out. Yeah. I mean, th- th- that's, how th- that's how this is going to have to happen. Yeah. So your opinion, how quickly does this start to go? Do we even get to media days before this all breaks? Or is this just kind of an, an, an underlying st- or a big storyline at media days in, in a week or so? I, I think it's a big storyline at media days and it's the one, you know, Greg Sankey has got time now to prepare how he's going to respond to it. But I think it's that everybody knows it's, it's coming at some point. I, I don't get the feel 
that with, with all due respect to swim, swim sports, uh, which is where I go to get all my conference realignment news. I don't get the feel that, you know, that the negotiations are to the point that they'll, the story will break like Oklahoma, Texas did right at me at media days last year. Do you remember? I mean, one year ago, it seems like forever, but one year ago, that's when that hit. I don't, I don't get the feel that that's where we'll be. I think it'll be a little bit further down the road, but I also, like you said, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I don't know how to word what I'm about to say. I, I don't know that it was a – I think maybe the announcement, the timing of the announcement, right. maybe the SEC did not see coming with USC and UCLA. But I don't think they were caught off guard by the fact that the Big Ten was expanding and was adding teams. I think as soon as they added Texas and Oklahoma, you knew the Big Ten was going to say, okay, where do we go? We, right. we, we can't let them – you know, just start taking over. We got we got to build some borders. Somewhere. Well, and I remember so. telling you a year ago. I said that uh, USC is going to leave the Pac-12. Yeah. I mean, I was hearing it. I mean, I was hearing USC was interested in the SEC. I mean, I but I knew that USC was. At, it turns out I was wrong there. But USC was absolutely interested in leaving the Pac-12. In fact, I think USC had made up its mind it was leaving the Pac-12. UCLA smartly went to USC and said, "Hey, we'll go with you." Yeah, that good. And USC was like, yeah, there's always, you know, there's always comfort in company. Um, I mean, a year ago, what I heard was USC and Arizona State were kind of aligned and might do the same thing, which was kind of an odd pairing. But I kept hearing it over and over and over. But it turns out that it was all USC was looking at the landscape and going, this doesn't work. Uh, we, we, If we're going to compete nationally, and we absolutely want to compete nationally, we, we've got to change a lot of things that we're doing, including the league that we play in. Yeah. You know, Arizona State in a lot of ways would have made a little more sense if you just look at it strictly from TV markets, right? That you would go get USC, who is the big dog in the in the L.A. market, and then go add the Phoenix market, which is a top 10 market with yeah, Arizona State. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be a little bit like the NFC East. Uh, uh, you know, I get so tired of NFC East games on Fox every Sunday, even though I have Sunday ticket. Um, but. I know why they do it, right? Or it's really not Fox that I get tired of. It's, you know, the NBC Sunday night game is a heavy dose of NFC East. But I get why they're doing it, right? The NFC East is made up of Dallas, Washington, D.C., New York, and Philadelphia. Yeah, I understand it completely. It's it's the biggest media markets in the NFL. So I get why NBC wants to try to, you know, own those markets. And I get why the Big Ten wants to try to own L.A. and would try to want to own Phoenix, you would think. And why they added Maryland to try to get Washington, D.C., why they added Rutgers to try to get New York City. You know, I get that. I'm going to get to some football things in a minute, but I, I do want to ask you this. What do you think ultimately happens with Notre Dame? They, their deal with NBC expires in a couple of years. Obviously, the Big Ten wants them. I don't think the SEC is a fit for them. I, if, if Notre Dame called and said, hey, we'd like to join the SEC, I think Greg Sankey will say, I'll be in South Bend in an hour. We'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. Do you think they stay independent, or do you think they jump into the Big Ten in the next couple of seasons? Um, I, I think eventually they'll be in a conference. I just—they've always valued independence, but there's a—you're to a point now where the dollar value of what you could get in a TV deal versus independence just doesn't make any sense. Like I, I Neil, I think their TV deal with with NBC pays them about thirty million a year. Is what I've seen. I mean, that's peanuts compared to what you could just make as a member of the of the Big Ten. You could be leaving 75 to $80 million yep. a year on the table. Yeah. And so you, I know you value independence, but do you value it to a, a $75 million level? Um, that, that seems that you put too much value in independence at that point. But I do believe they also hold all the cards. Like, they can, at any point, like you just said, they can say, all right, you're right, we need to be in a conference. And the conferences would be lined up at the door. I mean... They could go to the Big Ten any day they wanted. They, I'm, I'm with you, even though it's a weird fit for the SEC. If Jack Swarbrick called Greg Sankey, he would be on the private jet to South Bend that moment. Instantly. Um, yeah, instantly. If they wanted to save the ACC and say, okay, we'll be a savior to the ACC, the ACC would, you know, with open arms, do it. Oh, I mean, the ACC. They'd fall to their they, knees. They let them be a, yeah, they let them be a one-year member just to save their football season. You don't think they would? <laughs> I mean, so – I mean, they, they, they hold all the cards. Anytime they decide we want to be in a conference, there's going to be a spot for them. So I, I don't think they have to rush at all. I think they've actually got the – now, you're right about the TV deal. Once that's up, it does apply a little pressure on them to either do a really short-term TV deal or move somewhere else. But I do think they have the luxury of seeing where all the cards fall and saying, okay, this is our best fit, this is our best fit, or whatever. I think they are the one school that's – 
really got the luxury of just seeing where all the chips fall and making their best play from that point. So SEC Media Day is less than a week away as people hear this. Um, obviously, this is going to be a big topic of conversation, and Greg Sankey is going to have a very carefully worded uh, speech that we'll try to read between the lines of and, and all of that for a day or so. And then at some point, the, the shift will – I mean, the focus will shift to the coaches – is the big topic still NIL and all the stuff that has come up with Texas A&M and Alabama and all of that, or does the focus shift to on-the-field stuff fairly quickly? Because the thing about it is it's middle of July, and people do this where it's like it's the start of football season, and you're like, well, it's really not. I mean, it, it, it's really not the start of football season because no one starts practice for about two and a half weeks, and – all these coaches are going to have their local media days in two and a half weeks where they talk football. This is kind of typically more big picture stuff. And the coaches aren't going to have opinions on expansion because they're going to be able to say, Oh, that's not something I deal with. I have no control. I can't deal with anything that I, I don't, you can hear the answers. You can almost make them up, but NIL is a big topic. Like Lane Kiffin, you get Lane Kiffin an NIL question and five minutes later, he's, starting to complete his answer. He has a lot of, I think, conflicting, complicated thoughts on NIL, and it's been a big topic of conversation with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and that kind of thing. Do you think that dominates Atlanta? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You know, it's, it's interesting you ask because it's funny, like when you have those big picture topics and you want to hear a lot of, if not every, a lot of coaches' thoughts on them. There's this interesting dynamic, especially like in the print room where you've, you've spent most of your time where coaches do like 45 minutes or so. And they do this opening statement and talk about what a great summer it's been and how this is the favorite roster they've had. These guys all buy in. They've done great in the weight room and yada, yada, yada. And, and a lot of times it's a filibuster, too. If they don't want to answer a lot of questions and they'll go through their depth chart, even though I've got their depth chart laying right there. It's just it's so so monotonous. The less the less Miles get... family vacation update. I used to love it. I, I would laugh out loud, and I had to control myself because I, I, I knew what he was doing, I and I thought it was brilliant. Yep. And you, so you get all that, and then you're like, you know, okay, he's done with the filibuster, and you know, I want to hear his thoughts on Nick Saban versus you know versus uh, versus Jimbo Fisher. Maybe I can get some, some some good conversation on that. So now we're geared up and ready to hear. And then you know, a couple questions in, you get you know local fan site. 
you know, bigfans.com. Uh, coach, can, can you talk about Robbie's development at, at running back and, and how he might pressure Tony? And every other media member is like, who the heck's Robbie? So they're flipping through their <laughs> yeah. media guy trying to find who Robbie is. And then he rolls on two and a half minutes about what a great kid Robbie is. And you're like, man, I just really want to hear you say, you know, whose side you're on, Jimbo Fisher or Nick Saban, right? So that's kind of the, I mean, that's kind of the, the competition you get at SEC Media Days. But to your point and to your question, I think I, I, it's, it's just kind of funny the way the stories change. Like that seemed like that was going to be the story that dominated SEC Media Days, even when it happened months ago or a month or so ago. And then out of the blue, here comes USC and UCLA, and all of a sudden your focus shifts, and it's almost like that's the secondary story. Like if I've got one question to ask Lane Kiffin, do I want to try to fish something out of him on Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, or do I want to try to fish something out of him on you know, which teams he would like to add to the SEC? Because Lane you know, can be a pretty – you know, there are times where Lane doesn't guard his words, right? And there's sure. times where he says things, and you're like, oh, all right, I got I actually got an honest answer out of a coach. Um, you know, do I want to ask Mike Leach about that or, or somebody like that that might give me a really good answer? Or is my time better spent trying to get them to weigh in on, you know, I, I find NIL and all that to be a really taxing topic. I, I do mean, too. The, the, far, the far more interesting part of it is the fact that one coach called out another team and that coach fired back, and those two teams play October 8th. That's the far more interesting storyline than, you know, what what NIL is actually doing to college football. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about NIL here is Ole Miss is trying, obviously, but they seem to be having much more success in the transfer market than they are with the, the highly ranked high school kid. An example is they just signed uh, – Jaden Rashada's brother, Roman Rashada, he's on campus, going about to go through his first preseason camp with Ole Miss, yet Jaden Rashada, the quarterback, who was Lane Kiffin's top priority at that position, I think including Arch Manning, I think he preferred Jaden Rashada, they didn't get Jaden Rashada. He committed to Miami, and the rumor is $9.5 million, and people have tried to argue against that, but not all that convincingly. The comments that came out of Miami and like, Rashada is represented by basically two guys. One's 25 and one's like 21. These are not sophisticated. This is not Jimmy Sexton controlling things here. <laughs> um, this is not Russ Campbell, right? I mean, these these are a couple of guys that are flying by the seat of their pants. And it it feels like Kiffin is really frustrated about the inability to get into that market, to get that done. And it, it, it's almost... I sense a little bit, if I could ask him something in a private setting, which will never happen because I'm a local guy, in a private setting it would be, has this led to you almost abandoning high school recruiting and just relying strictly on the transfer portal, and how worried are you that that is not a sustainable model? And maybe it is a sustainable model. We're going to find out, but I wonder when you start – when your 85-man roster gets to a place where 50 of the people on that roster are transfer portal guys, I wonder how sustainable that is year over year beyond even just like the team chemistry type stuff. And I know this is a long-winded question, but the reason I have that question, I think, is because I look at the the programs in the league that have dominated the league over the last few years, Alabama, Georgia, they're not doing that. Yeah, Alabama's had some success in the transfer portal, but that's not where they've they've made all of their – that's not where they, their bread is buttered. They may have just added a little flavoring to their bread, but the, the butter has come from – the bread and the butter has come from high school kids, and, and certainly Kirby at Georgia has done the exact same thing. And I have to think that Lane Kiffin, who was on the Alabama staff and saw how Alabama is built, mm-hmm. would prefer to do it that way as well, but he feels like he can't. And it's not just an Ole Miss thing. I think Nick Saban is asking this same question because while Alabama's got a very passionate fan base and good boosters, they don't have a lineup of billionaire oil guys like a Texas or a Texas A&M has. So they're going to have to do it differently, right? That's not to say Alabama, if they need $10 million to sign a Jaden Rashada-level player or an Arch Manning-level player, they can't find it. No, they'll find that. But but I, I think to your point, the question that Nick Saban is having to ask and to, a, I think, Lane Kiffin, the same thing. I think we see a little bit more the way Lane Kiffin thinks than Nick Saban on this this point so far, which is the more sustainable model. 
Is it go find top level skill players and pay them eight or 10 million if that's what they need to come here? Or go find guys that maybe we missed on initially, but now that they're on a collegiate team, boy, they're really good. Yeah. And we can get them to transfer here and they fit in nicely. Which one's the more sustainable model? I mean, the NFL, Neil, if, if you want to, you know, because this is very much an NFL discussion, which one's the more sustainable model in the NFL? Is it going and drafting top level guys or is it just playing the free agency game? I mean, go out, go ask the LA Rams that they've got the trophy right now. But, you know? but, you but know, the Rams, know, the Rams you, spend more money than the, the Cincinnati Bengals. They, they do, but they've also done it in the secondary market, right? I yeah. mean, you know, it's not all guys they've drafted. I mean, Matt Stafford was, was a guy, you know, they looked at their quarterback and said, Hey, you know what? We drafted high at quarterback, which would be recruiting. And we got that wrong. So now we got to go to the transfer portal and get the guy from Detroit, from the Lions, to transfer in here because he could play right away. Well, lo and behold, he ended up holding the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi trophy. So, you know, I mean, I don't know which one's the more sustainable model in the NFL. I don't know which one's the better model in the NFL. And I, nobody knows which one it is in college sports yet. And, hey, both of them may end up flourishing equally, right? I mean, there may be there are going to be schools because there are teams that draft horribly. There are teams that do free agency horribly. So it's not to say you can't do it either way, but I am fascinated to see which one seems to be the better model. Right now, it appears Lane Kiffin thinks his most sustainable model, as you said, is the transfer portal. Um, so far, Nick Saban pretty much has indicated the same thing. If you look at, you know, Jamison Williams, um, you know, both their, their top two receivers this year in all likelihood are going to be transfer portal guys. Their top running back is going to be a transfer portal guy. You've also got Will Anderson, who's probably the best player on the team. They recruited Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner they recruited. So there's a little bit of a mix. But Will Anderson and Bryce Young came along in the recruiting process before the, the you know, the 10 million sign me for 10 million dollar deals. And, and what could those guys have commanded on, on an open market? The veracity of Jimbo Fisher's answer about putting a cap on NIL, uh, I think is I think is fair to call into question. He, his words, if you just read them, oh yeah, we need a, we need to put a limit on this. We need to have a, a uniformity. I, I, I didn't, I didn't sense a lot of sincerity in those words, and frankly, I don't blame him. Do you think there's any path towards a uniform cap on NIL, or is that something that's just not possible without making the players employees and letting them unionize and collectively bargain and all of those things that you officially become a pro league at that point? But even beyond that, which is probably as you, you know, as you're indicating, is the natural next step for the players. But even beyond that, even if there is a cap, uh, how are you going to enforce people operating under that cap? You know, I mean, you can do it in the professional sports because they, you know, exactly what everybody's getting paid. Right. Um, in the in the in the college sport, I mean, you know, there used to be a cap and it was zero. And and you and I both know nobody paid any attention to the cap that was zero. So are they going to pay attention to the cap if it's, you know, it's a, fair a bunch point. of zeros with a number in front of it? No, they're not going to. So I, I think you're wasting your time by setting the cap. If it makes people feel better, they'll probably do it. But it's a complete waste of time. All right. On the field real quick. Got about 15 minutes with you. Then I really appreciate all of your time. I know you're, you're, you're a busy guy. Um, people talk about this Alabama team and they say this might be Nick Saban's best team. We've heard that before. Uh, people say, hey, the, the over-under on this team is 11 and a half, and they're going over. There's nobody that can beat them in the regular season. You're pretty close to that. You cover them every day. You're around them all the time. Is this close to Saban's best team? Is this a team that is unbeatable? Um, this feels more like a Saban defense in the 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018 era before you know the defenses, before 20 points per game felt pretty good, right? When you're giving up 20 points per game. Yeah. Uh, th- this was the team that people were pointing at last year, saying, "Hey, th- th- you know, this year they're they're good. Next year they're going to be really good." Well, the team that was good played for the national championship and all, you know, had a good chance at winning it. Um, this was where everybody was pointing, though. They were like, "Yeah, but next year's team, next year's team." Um, there are obviously some questions. You, you know, you don't you, you've not had either one of these two receivers play with Bryce Young in a single game that are going to be your probably your top two receivers. Offensive line was an issue for Alabama last year. Bryce Young at times ran for his life. He got pressured a lot. Had he not been 
so adept at avoiding the pass rush. It's amazing he won the Heisman playing behind that offensive line, frankly. You've answered a question at running back. Jameer Gibbs appears to be really, really, really good. That defense, though, I think is, you know, they're there's just really no weaknesses in it, Neil. I mean, when you look up front, they are so good on the front line. Their linebackers are scary good. Yeah. With Will Anderson on one side and Dallas Turner could be a star. I mean, this guy is so good. And the focus so much on Will Anderson, Dallas Turner um, could flourish this year. And then the back end of that defense, when you add on Eli Ricks from LSU, Jordan Battles, one of the best safeties in the country. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry got a lot of playing time as a freshman at the corner. You know, um, Brian Branch is so good in his role. I, I just I don't see a ton of weaknesses on that defense. I think, you know, this will be a more Saban-like defense. Pete Golding is a guy that has caught a lot of grief here. Um, this should be his the best defense he's been able to coach at Alabama. And that said, I mean, this is an offense that routinely under Saban now is scoring 45 to 50 points per game. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you're scoring that kind of if you've got that kind of offensive production and a defense that's anywhere close to some of those old school saving defenses, I don't see how this can be a championship contender. So, for the record, I agree with you completely. I think I think Alabama is going to run away with the SEC West. But if the football gods came down, I always like for the football gods to come down and visit a little bit. If the football gods came down and said, "Hey, Ryan, all I'm going to tell you here in the middle of July." is that Alabama is not going to Atlanta. Alabama is not playing in the SEC Ooh. title game. That's all I'm telling you. You you need to pick a team to focus on so that come late November, early December, you know this team backwards and forwards, and you can talk about it like an expert. What team are you focused on at that point? I mean, the, the, the I think the most popular answer you would get to that question would be Texas A&M. Yeah. Um, the fact that they come to Tuscaloosa and everything that is around that game and the fact that even the team that was good enough to beat Alabama last year still managed to lose four games would worry me in saying Texas A&M. You know, Alabama goes to Arkansas. Arkansas beat A&M last year. Um, I mean, and can I sell myself on Arkansas? A, beating Alabama, and then B, winning enough games to also win the conference. That's it's a hard, hard sell. It's a hard sell. Yeah, and you know I liked Ole Miss last year as a ten-win team. I don't know that they can play to that level again this year. Um, State is, you know, as good a coach as Mike Leach can be in chosen games. He's awful against Alabama's defense. Awful. They just don't even. They're they're non-competitive against Alabama's defense. Saban knows, you know, and Golding know how to shut that offense down. Auburn is is a long way away right now. LSU is a long way away right now. You know, you're. Your only reasonable choice would be Texas A&M, and I would not feel good at all about that. Let's dive into them a little bit because the pressure's going to start getting to Jimbo here soon because it's now multifaceted. They gave him this massive deal. They gave him a massive new deal. Um, they've defended him when he acted like an idiot with some of the comments that he made. He just flew off the handle after the Saban stuff. There was a better way to handle that than doing what he did. And like you said, last year they lost – to Mississippi State, to Ole Miss, to Arkansas, to LSU. It's bizarre, but they did. They lost those games. They play all those teams again. They got to go to Alabama this time. Um, he, he's made his share of enemies. They've become a big game for people because of the way he talks. If he loses four more games again this year, if they're eight and four, which I think is a, a realistic record for them, if they're eight and four, how much heat starts turning up on Jimbo Fisher? Because Texas is joining the league soon. Uh, Sarkeesian for all the knocks on him and who knows what he ultimately does but he just landed Arch Manning he's recruiting at a super high level how much pressure starts to mount on Jimbo Fisher in College Station oh I think an excessive amount because these are not as you know these people that are paying the money to pay him this money these people that are donating the money they're not used to being losers right these are people that have been winners their whole life they were either born into a family with a lot of money or they you know they found oil in their backyard made a lot of money (laughs) these are people that are used to winning they are not used to being second place and and the other aspect of this is you've always compared yourself to texas and you've always had this inferiority complex and now here comes texas to your own league yeah at some point and i'll I'll use uh you know an oil-filled metaphor you got to stake your claim to your territory and know that when Texas actually gets in this league, they understand we're running this state or this league. You know, I mean, 
that's what you're paying Jimbo Fisher to do is to run this league. And he's what all, that NIL, all that NIL money is to win. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't pay that just to have fun on a Saturday. You pay that to win and have fun on a Saturday. So, I mean, I, I would personally, if I were an AM fan, that clock is already ticking for me because why are you paying this money? And, and, you know, and look, there are a ton of schools in the Southeastern Conference that are paying that kind of money to win on that level, and not all of them can. I get it. I mean, LSU doesn't expect Brian Kelly to come in and battle for second or third in the West. They expect Brian Kelly to come in and challenge Alabama and Nick Saban right now. So I get that a lot of people are paying that money, and not everybody can do that, but that doesn't mean fans are going to be realistic and think that way. They think, yeah, I know everybody's trying to do it, but we should be the ones doing it right now. Let me get your thoughts on Ole Miss real quick. And I know this is not apples to apples here. Um, last year, Ole Miss obviously really leaned on Matt Corral, and he was terrific, especially early in the season before he got hurt. I mean, his performance against Arkansas, his performance against Tennessee is the stuff of legends. People will talk about those games here in Oxford for a long, long time, and deservedly so, because if he's just good and not great in those two games, Ole Miss loses. He was great. He was perfect against Arkansas, and then he was just so courageous against Tennessee. But Matt's not here. You were around that Alabama program when Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator in a year where, if I remember correctly, they just rode Derrick Henry. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, just just rode him in a year when they were a little not not bad at quarterback. They weren't they weren't solid at quarterback just yet. There were questions going into that season about quarterback play and. They really leaned on the running back. Ole Miss, is, I think, is going to be pretty good up front. Uh, Zach Evans looked terrific in the spring, and he's always been an effective back when he's healthy. They've got a stable of guys behind him. Everybody around this program raves about Quinshawn Judkins, the uh, freshman out of Alabama. So a long-winded question to get to this. What did that look like that year? And I know Alabama had a great defense, and you could do different things, and how good Ole Miss's defense is or isn't going to be is kind of still to be determined but what did that look like when Lane Kiffin, who's known for whatever reason as this pass-happy guy, became a, a ground-and-pound offensive coordinator? Well, it, it, first of all, it was Derrick Henry. Uh, so, you know, you start there yeah. and you look and say, Lane's obviously a smart guy. I mean, he scanned the landscape and he said, do I want to put the game on Jake Coker's shoulders? Nice quarterback, good quarterback. Jake played well in the postseason, by the way. Do I put it on his shoulders or do I put it on Derrick Henry's shoulders? And Lane's like, hey, Derrick Henry's the best player on the team. Let's put it on his shoulders. And they, he ran the ball 395 times that year, 395 carries, wow. which is astounding in a 15-game schedule. And um, it was just – it was Derrick Henry after Derrick Henry after Derrick Henry, and he just wore down, wore down, you know, defenses. And, and you're right about that with Lane. Everybody thinks this guy just chunks it all over the field. He's always had a commitment to the run game. Always, always, always had a commitment to the run game. And, um, and and that's the thing I don't think he gets enough credit for. Um, you're right about Corral. And even, you know, you, you, the Alabama game, I know it was 35 to nothing at some point, I believe. But if you go back to that first possession, and I can't remember how many fourth down conversions Lane went for. I think it was three on that first possession. I think it was three. Three or four. Yeah. The one Alabama actually stopped. You know, if they get that one to keep that drive alive and score, I think it was obvious Ole Miss's defense was going to have some struggles against Alabama's offense that day. But if you get that first one and score and, and you get a little momentum rolling, they were going to hang with Alabama for a little bit. Now, Alabama's still going to win that game. But I think Corral was good enough to hang with Alabama for a little bit. That was Alabama's, I thought, best game of the season. I thought they were – the regular season at least. I thought they were just mm -hmm. terrific that day. They were really dialed in. I didn't know how – Ole Miss got weird in that game from the not even the popcorn thing because whatever, but yeah. they were a little overhyped and a little overamped, and they that was that was probably Lane's worst coaching performance of the season. And I don't like you said I don't I don't think Ole Miss could have beaten Alabama on that day. For Ole Miss to beat Alabama last year, Alabama was going to have to play down, and and they yeah. didn't. They did they did not play down. They played incredibly well that day. I only have about five minutes left with you. I want to get to the other side of the league a little bit. I'll ask the same question. Obviously, everyone's picking Georgia. I would pick Georgia. I think you're picking Georgia. But if the football guys, while they were visiting, said, hey, Ryan, I'll give you one more. Georgia's not going to be in Atlanta either. They're not there. So you better pick a team in the east because I know you're, you're pretty west-focused there in, in Birmingham with Alabama and Auburn. You better pick a team in the East and get to know them because you're going to be talking about them a lot in December and into January. What team would you focus on? 
Okay. And this is going to sound crazy, but let me just let, let me give you the thought process behind my answer. I know your answer because I'm I'm in agreement. But go ahead. Well, well there's a huge if to it. Though. You know, there's a huge if. <laughs> if Will Levis, yeah, is as good as all these draft analysts seem to think he is. Okay, and I've reached out to one of the draft analysts I really, really, really respect and don't think he gets caught up in hype. I think he approaches it from a very, you know, I think, I think he does it the right way. And I said, come on, man, Will Levis. And he said, Hey, listen, I've talked to actual NFL teams that have him at the top of their board. This is not ahead of Bryce. Young. Not, yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is, and maybe it's, maybe it's those teams don't think they'll be drafting in a position to get Bryce Young Neil. I don't know, okay. but you know, sure. Um, but this is not just some media creation. They, the league really likes this kid. Whether it's at the top of a board or not, he'll, they like this kid. I mean, I, this is hard to say because I know the logo that's on the side of the helmet. <laughs> but if he plays to that level, Neil, if Will Levis plays to the level where he's a top 10, not even the number one overall, but a top 10 NFL pick at quarterback, how does that team not contend for the East? With the defense, with, with Chris Rodriguez at running back. No. And the defense you get from Stoops year in, year out. And a lot of guys are back. They're, they're going to be good up yeah. front. I mean, I don't know how those two things can coincide. That he can play to a top 10 NFL pick level. And if you get, that's the other F here, if you get the defense Stoops normally gives you, I mean, how do they not at least play on the same field as Georgia with a chance? And by the way, Stoops has done this twice already. Like play a Georgia game where if he wins that game, they're going to win the East one time. They actually clinched the East with that win. The other time it was like, you know, it's going to take a train wreck for him not to do it. But then that's a credit to Stoops that he's had Kentucky in that game twice that way. But if he's playing that type of football, how, how do they not? How do they not? It's, it's so funny you say that because I was on your show and Jim Dunaway was like, hey, you know, what if Ole Miss starts eight? No, and, and I, 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 I'm not ready to go there. And it's not about Ole Miss. It's, it's because Kentucky comes here October 1st in week five. Yeah. And if, if the football gods came down into me and said, hey, you can pick one game, I'll, I'll give you the result of this game, and that'll help you gauge what Ole Miss is going to do, I'd go, okay, tell me the Kentucky score. Tell me that yeah, score. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. if Ole Miss rolls over Kentucky, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe some of these people that are talking about 9-3 and three and 10-2 and two are on to something. But if Ole Miss gets popped by Kentucky, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to temper my expectations here because – you know, there is no Matt Corral to go win that Arkansas game. There is no Matt Corral to go win that Tennessee game. And the back half of Ole Miss's schedule is just brutal. I mean, the month of November is just – I mean, it is. It's Alabama, A&M, Arkansas, Mississippi. It's tough. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm with you. And they get they get Georgia at home. And I don't, I don't think Billy Napier is going to have a great year one at Florida. I think Tennessee's better. But I don't think Tennessee's ready to title contend. And then the rest of that division is – not very good, South Carolina's. No. I mean, people are trying to do the South Carolina thing, and I, I don't, I know it's about Spencer Rattler, and so I'm sure they'll be a little better. But they were not a good football team last year. Shane did a great no. job with with them, yeah. but but they weren't good. And they've added in the portal too. I think they'll, I think they can be a better team and have the same exact record they had. I mean, it's just a brutal schedule that they've got to play. Uh, I like Hendon Hooker. I am right now wrong on Josh Heupel. I thought it was an awful lazy hire. But uh, he, he did a really good job in year one. I'll have to give him credit. And I think Hooker's a good quarterback. But I just don't know. Again, I'll go back to Kentucky. I don't know how those two things can live in the same world where Will Levis becomes a top 10 NFL draft pick. Mark Stoops gives me the defense we know he gives me and the run game he gives me. And that team is at least at least the second best team in the Final one minute with you here. Are you covering chaos at Auburn over the course of the fall, or is this going to be one of these deals that stabilizes a little bit? See, I'm sorry, Neil. I broke up for That's a second. okay. Yeah, we broke up for a second. I said final minute. Yeah. Uh, are you covering chaos at Auburn this, this fall, or, or does it stabilize and, and they're okay? Because typically when people expect Auburn to be a chaotic disaster, they actually have a decent season. They do. You want to talk about a brutal end of a schedule, go scope out that one. Um, they play, I think they got five home games in their first seven or something like that. And then they play a ton of road games against the most difficult portion of their schedule. So 
You'll know, I think you'll know the answer to your question early. I lean more towards chaos. They, I just don't know that they've improved their quarterback situation. I don't know that I'd say Zach Calzada is definitely better than Bo Nix. They've got a really good running back in Tank Bigsby. They've got a lot of questions at receiver. Uh, there's just, you know, two new coordinators. There's just questions all over the field. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see a path where this can be any better than seven wins. And I don't know that seven wins gets fired, but I do think there'll be some chaos. Ryan, thanks so much for the time. It's always fun to visit with you. Hope to see you soon. And uh, thanks for giving us time here on the Oxford Exxon podcast. You bet, Neil. Always fun. Thanks a lot. That's Ryan Brown. We'll be back tomorrow with another show. I'll be on the road, but I'll join Chase Parham, and we will uh, bring you another edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. So until then, I'm Neil McCready. Take care. Hey, thank you, my man. I appreciate you. Not a problem. Sorry about the connection at the end. No, it was, it, was, it was perfect until the last 30 seconds, so don't worry about it. It was great. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye. All right, buddy. Bye. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.